0: Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel and proud member of the Robots Radio podcast network. My name is Aramithius and this week we are looking at some of the more mythic heroes in Tamriel's history. Those that have tried to overturn empires, have turned the fate of the continent and otherwise been touched by the gods themselves quite possibly. This week we're asking... What is a Chesarene? Before that, though, I'd just like to say if you've got any questions that you want to ask me on this podcast and that I could potentially answer, drop me an email at writtenuncertaintypodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at Aramithias. Anything that you want me to look at and potentially answer on this cast, I would absolutely love to do for you. So please drop me a line. Let me know if I get enough of them. I can potentially do a questions and responses episode or turn some of them into fuller topics if they're meaty enough. And one small note, as some of you may have noticed, that towards the end of the Truth and Sequence episodes, I wasn't using any background music. I've been having some issues balancing it, so I think it's just easier to cut it out for the most part. Just so that it's easier for you guys to hear what I'm saying, rather than having to fight with the stuff that's in the background all the time. And... In addition to looking for some more questions, I was also thinking to start focusing on some historical areas of Tamriel, looking into how history has unfolded on the world of Mundus rather than necessarily just answering questions and mysteries and that sort of thing. So I was hoping to make the next leg of Written in Uncertainty once i finish finished my current batch of questions a little bit more like a hardcore history podcast for the elder scrolls if you like so if you have any particularly favorite eras or particularly favorite parts of history that you want me to look at and explore the whys and wherefores of please let me know what your favorite ones are and i'll get digging the email again is writteninuncertaintypodcast at gmail.com and on twitter it's at aramithius and now what are chesarenes Before we begin, I should make my usual disclaimer, which I've been missing recently, I'm sorry about that, but this is my view on the Chesareen or Chesareens and what I can pick up about them from the various parts of the internet. You may have a different view, and if so, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Drop me an email or leave a comment wherever you're listening. And as ever, take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt. And if you want to check my sources, check out the blog post that accompanies this cast at writteninuncertainty.com. It will be writteninuncertainty.com forward slash podcasts forward slash chesareens. So what are Shazarenes? They're basically considered to be fragments or embodiments of Lokan that inhabit the mortal world, or at least that's a rough-and-ready definition you'll find within the fandom. They're associated with Shazar because, going by the book Shazar and the Divines, he became the spirit behind all human undertaking, following the creation of the Eight Divines pantheon. And while that pretty much began Shazar's slide into irrelevance in Syrodelic worship, I think it's a pretty decent description of the idea that undergirds much of the talk about the Chezarines. They're seen, often not by name, as figures that advance the cause of the Manish races, that's one of the core things about what they are, and those core things are pretty important. Precisely how that works in relation to the parent deity or the parent figure is unclear at the moment, as we have some different accounts, both of how many Chesarenes there can be, as well as the precise nature of the relation between the two. We'll get to that a little later, but first the simpler question. How many Chesarenes are there, or how many Chesarenes have there been? Which doesn't actually give us an exact answer, even if it is the simpler of the two. You'll hear talk of Chesareen's plural in many corners of the Elder Scrolls lore community, but most sources that mention the word will talk about the Chesareen. Uh, this seems to be the most persistent picture of the figure that we actually have in the books that you'll see in the games. In Volume 5 of The Song of Pelennel, we have the line, It is a solid truth that Morahaus was the son of Kine, but whether or not Pelinol was indeed the Chesareen is best left unsaid. We also have, from the words of Clan Mother Inisi, that Locage was cursed to, quote, walk Nerni for many phases. The book, Before the Ages of Man, has possibly the neatest answer to this sort of question, where it describes a time when, to quote, The legendary immortal hero, warrior, sorcerer, and king, variously known as White Whitestrake, Harold Breeks. Ysmir, Hounds of the Fox, etc. wandered Tamriel, gathering armies, conquering lands, ruling, then abandoning his kingdoms to wander again. So by this account, we have one Chesirin called by many names. That would be all nice and neat, and I'm inclined to think that might be the ultimate answer personally. We'll get to precisely why in a bit more detail later. However, you will see a list of several Chazarenes banded around the community that several people are inclined to think are different people, probably, and they existed at the same time. In a forum thread from 2004, Michael Kirkbride gave a list of Lorcan and his avatars, to quote, which sounds pretty close to what a Chazarene is. After all, Lorcan created the mortal world, and particularly if you listen to the Altma, made Men too. So by this account, we have one Chesareen called by many names. One possible alternative or reason for that, we can maybe see in the figure of the Nerevarine, who has a very similar name to the Chesarine, If you'll note, we'll get to talking about both of them as incarnations throughout this whole podcast. But the Nerevarine had several failed incarnates that kind of clumped together in the cavern of the incarnate and were collectively the ones that failed to become the Neverine, but possibly could have done, because they wouldn't have gathered all in that one place if they were just people who tried and failed to defeat Dagothur, and that was it. So, it's possible that we've got several degrees of Chesareen-hood, if you like, that there are several people, like this: Parnell, white Strike, Harold Harry-Breeks, these are all different people that have tried to be the Chesareen, and variously either failed or succeeded in doing that and thanks to Hannah for that suggestion we also have a list of different people from a forum thread in 2004 where Michael Kirkbride gave a list of quote Lorcan and his avatars which sounds pretty close to what a Chesareen is because Lorcan created the mortal world particularly if you listen to the Ultima and he also made men if you go by that particular narrative. So I kinda think it would make sense if Lor Khan was in some way directing the chazarenes or helping to formulate them in some way. Uh, except that we do get rather a bizarre set of names in that list, it would seem. The list is Wolfarth, Hjalti, Ismir, Talos, Arctus, and Septim, and a missing seventh Avatar. All of the lists that we have names for are part of the plot that we see in the Arcturian heresy in some way, and so identity is a bit messy, but they are probably distinct people that all exist at the same time, and so there's no mantle of the Chesareen to pass from person to person, so to speak. And quite a few of those names are also potentially titles rather than distinct entities like Ysmir, which is given to The Last Dragonborn, as well as Early Earlybeard, if you read that text, and maybe Tiber Septim as well? Or, at least, that's the case if you take the Arcturian Heresy to be true. I appreciate it can be full of holes to a degree as much as any other text. So, if that's the case, can a title or a role be a or or is it the other way around? Is the Chesareen a role or a title that can also be attached to something like Ysmir or Talos? Uh, also, why would characters which are likely the same person, like both Hjalti and Wolfarth being Ysmir, merit separate entities on the list? I don't honestly get it. In fact, if you look at that list, all possible Chesareens on it are part of the Talos and enantiomorph. Unless maybe we consider the Chesareen to be something like a role in itself, that might be a way out here. That plays well with a few hints that we have about the nature of prophecy in the Elder Scrolls, where the chosen hero is typically the one who pulls off the grand feat, but that's all that's needed. Pulling off the grand feat in of itself makes you a chosen hero if that event is foretold by prophecy. You don't need to be chosen as such. To quote Zurin Arctus on this, Each event is preceded by prophecy, but without the hero, there is no event. The hero, the chosen one, makes things happen. That's the only qualifier for being the chosen one. It's less a chosen one and more a doing one, I suppose. And that's particularly hammered home in The Elder Scrolls 3, where that quote appears when the Nerevarine Is revealed to be the one who succeeds at defeating Dagoth Ur and may not be anything else. The prophecy of the stranger explicitly states that many fall but one remains, which emphasizes that while many may be an incarnation, only one can get the job done, and that harks back to the idea we were talking about earlier where you meet those failed incarnates in the cavern of the incarnate, and so they tried to become the Nerevarine were perhaps part of the Nerevarine's overarching purpose but didn't actually get the title but we do also possibly have the idea of destiny involved if this particular quote from Michael Kirkbride is anything to go by which is mantling and incarnation are separate roads do not mistake this The latter is built from the cobbles of drawn bone destiny. The former walk like them until they must walk like you. There isn't a whole lot of clarity on what this passage actually means. Most discussion is actually focused uh, on the stuff around mantling rather than incarnation. But I still think this is something that can be applied to incarnation. So like the Nerevarine or the Chesarenes, I'm going to be considering them pretty much the same sort of thing. Just mostly because of the name convention and the way that they're talked about, but I think there is a link there. This sort of a role is not imitation in the sense of mantling, where you do what another being did so that the universe can't tell you apart. It's not walking with, it's walking beyond. It's the extrapolation of a thing, carrying on the purpose of the entity that has now found its incarnate form and to express its will in a new way. The Nerevarine defeated Dagothur in a way that Nerevar couldn't, and the Shezzarine, or Shezzarines, were advancing the cause of the Manish races in a way that Shazar could not. You remember that quote from Before the Ages of Man, they're all building Manish empires in a way that Shazar couldn't because he was beaten after the Elnafay Wars. And that's what I think it means to be built on, the cobbles of drawn-bone destiny. In the same way as Newton stood on the shoulders of giants, so incarnate built their destiny by completing the tasks that others began before them. And one of my patrons, Hannah, has made a fantastic point about the drawn-bone part of that quote, which may imply that it means prophesied because it sounds a bit like a reference to the oracle bones from the Shang dynasty of China that would mean that incarnation is, in some sense, a more traditional fulfillment of destiny, whereas The Elder Scrolls as a series has, by and large, tried to break away from that, although it would involve a destiny larger than the self, or maybe making yourself part of something that's larger than the self. It's not so much that a particular entity must do a certain thing, but that a certain thing must be done, which seems to fit better with the Elder Scrolls' general view of prophecy and that sort of thing. If that's the case, though, I do have to ask if the three parts of Talos are Chesarenes, what purpose are they serving? And I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit here as well, though, because we don't know that they're definitely Chesarenes. I think it would make sense for at least Wolfarth to be a Chesarene because of the events surrounding the Mantella and the capturing of his soul. In the heresy, Tiber Septim is trying to get the new medium to function and needs something like the heart of Lorcan. The book claims that the Mantala is used as a substitute for that heart, uh, but it isn't quite the same thing. While it's not that, the souls of Chesarenes are probably the closest thing you could get to the heart of Lorcan, given that Chesareens are incarnations of a very mannish interpretation of Lorcan. It makes thematic sense to me that at least one of the souls bound up in the Mantella would be a Chesareen, and then go on to conquer Tamriel and all that good stuff. So I'm prepared to think that it's possible that everyone involved was some level of Chesareen, or some sort of Chesareen, or as Serithi on Discord likes to put it, Talos is three mini Locans in a trench coat. And if that's the case, then there's also something potentially not right here, at least at first glance. If you read the heresy narrative, it's clear that the various Chesarenes don't get on particularly well, at least by the end, where they're actively trying to kill each other. If they're all part of the same being, and they're taking on the nature of a Chesarean part of Shazar. you'd expect them to get on a bit. And I think the reason for that difference is because they can express different aspects of the person or the god whose story they're continuing. If we take an analogous example, Alduin and Akatosh are both time gods, but they have very different agendas. It's entirely possible that different aspects of Lukhan, Shazar, or whoever you're calling your Manish god could function in a similar way and be at odds with each other. This is particularly the case if Shazarenes exemplify particular aspects of Shazar or are doing something like acting out Shazar's purposes rather than being possessed by Shazar, so to speak. If we look at the Nerevarine example again, Nerevarines can be whatever they like, do whatever they want, be the type of person that they want to be, while Nerevar was definitely a male Dunmer who married into House Inderil and became the Hortator. The Nerevarine does not necessarily match those attributes, but is still able to carry out acts that are in accordance with Nerevar's nature. And also, just to take an example from real life, If you have particular principles that you hold, they may at times conflict with each other. So say if you have a parent who thinks that killing is wrong but is prepared to do anything to save their child, those two values can come into conflict. And if you have values expressed as people, then they may well not get on in certain circumstances. I think that's one potential way of reconciling that. And I think... This is possibly a reasonable time to summarise what I've been trying to say in different ways up until this point, probably badly. But the identity of a being is not essential to that being, that they are who they are because of what they do rather than because of any property that they have in and of themselves. So, Nerevar unified the Kyma because he's Nerevar, and that's what Nerevar does. Tyber Septim conquered and unified all of Tamriel because that's what Tyber Septim does, and so on. There's a necessary relation between a historical or divine figure and their deeds, but not a necessary relation between that figure and any particular being. And sorry, just to clarify here, when I say a necessary relation, I mean a relation that must hold. I mean, there are some things that could be linked but aren't necessary. That's a contingent relationship. A necessary relationship is something that is always the case, whereas a contingent relationship is a relationship that is sometimes the case, such as between, say, eyes and blueness. So if we take that sort of an idea that the relation between people and their deeds and the title and a claim that gets given to them because of those deeds is entirely contingent then we can say that the being that's being forwarded if we're looking at the idea of Cheserines putting forward a particular agenda is a role rather than a person and and the label that that's given in this case a person is just entirely incidental to what's actually going on. That's one possible interpretation anyway. there's another one that's part of Morello Ryan's absolutely fantastic Godhead model analysis and it talks about chezerenes and nereverines and it proposes that the pattern of being a Chezerine, so to speak, is basically like being part of a botnet to quote. I propose specifically that the AE of a given mortal can be infected by certain features, the bot, which allows for connection with an oversoul of those who have these features, the net possibly ideated through the dream sleeve. Note that AE is, as always in my writing, defined as identity, self, selfhood, consciousness, ghost when disembodied, story shape, narrative and plot narrator in one, which in mortals is only part of the soul, the other part being the animus. I do take a slight issue with his definition of AE and soul here, as I'm not sure that animus and AE are definitely distinct things, but I won't get into that now. If you want to check out what I do think about souls, then be sure to check out my episode on that topic. It was a few months ago now. With regard to Shazerines and so on, Morello Ryan is basically saying that a Shazerine has its own identity imprinted with that of another being. And so it acts like the thing that has stamped its AE onto it, possibly through a connection to some sort of larger principle, which tends to get called an oversoul in the Elder Scrolls. The best example that we have of an Oversoul is also Talos, so it has some relevance here. So does the Oversoul itself, independent of its part, have some form of existence and will or purpose? I think that the Elder Scrolls comes down with a resounding yes to that question, or at least if you believe the Arcturian heresy. I'm constantly flagging that one as possibly unreliable, I know. More generally, if a person has a destiny to fulfill, then that destiny, or whatever task needs to be fulfilled, could be fulfilled by more than one person. Grouping the people driven to do that into one group is a possible version of an oversoul, I guess. And Particularly if, when we follow Morello Ryan's model, it involves directly tampering with a being's AE, with their sense of identity, in order to make them want to do that. This takes a bit more of an essentialist view of identity in the Elder Scrolls than I tend to because it says that a being will always act in a certain way because of its nature, because it is AE, rather than the nature being created by a being's actions. However, the process of making a Chesareen or Reverine does allow that nature to be manipulated and changed by another pattern, so I guess it's kind of compatible. What that pattern could be comes down to a thing that only surfaces in a few places in the Elder Scrolls lore, that of true names, and they're called protonyms where they're mentioned. This follows a fairly traditional folklore pattern that if you know a being's true name, then they can be controlled. This is done to various spirits in the Elder Scrolls, most notably Meroon's Dagon during the events of the game Battlespire, and potentially to Azura during the Trial of Vivek, if you think that was a thing. The most interesting thing I found on Protonimix doesn't actually mention them at all, but it's part of the book Sky Spirits, which says this, to quote, In her wisdom, Azura lit her brother's pyre with the twin lanterns of Joan and Jode, and thus the true spirits of Lorcage will always sometimes appear, but only when called by Azura or Karnathi, or by his oldest name. That mention of oldest name suggests that the use of Lorcage's protonymic can summon him at a first glance, but I think it's possibly more than that. If we have a look at it alongside the cursing of Lorcage, in the words of clan mother Anisi, then summoning him would be summoning his remnant, bringing forth a Chesireen. While I don't think that incarnate beings and their sources share a Nimic, the invocation of a proto-Nimic could potentially cause one to emerge, but that's purely a maybe on my part based on that text. Or if we consider the favoured daughters of Fatimai, to take another perspective, It could simply be a way of bringing forth or creating a Dromathra. Exactly what the link is between the protonymics of incarnates and their original spirits, I'm not sure is probably the big takeaway there. I want to say that they're possibly the same notes at a different pitch or something, but I have nothing really to back that up as to why that's the case, beyond a feeling that they should be the same thing but mildly different, like different notes are or potentially notes from the same chord or key signature, rather than the same note, just a different octave. I'm stretching metaphors here to try and come up with something, and some way to account for the discord between the Talos Chesarenes here, and I'm not sure I really need to. But as I'm starting to stretch, it's probably about time we stepped away from Chesarenes in general, and towards the idea of Chesarenes in the games and how they relate to the events in the games. If you've been in the community for any length of time, you'll probably have seen a thread somewhere over the years talking about whether The Last Dragonborn or the hero of is possibly a Chesareen. Uh, the Last Dragonborn's example is fairly trite, if I'm honest. When The Last Dragonborn goes to Sovngarde, Shaw's throne is empty and the player can sit in it. That's generally the biggest evidence for The Last Dragonborn being a Shazirin. And this echoes some events from the Shivering Isles, where the player can't sit in Sheagorath's chair until they've effectively become Sheagorath. I find that a little weird that players don't consider that what The Last Dragonborn does to constitute mantling, given that The Shivering Isles is generally seen as an example of that process. But that's the way the fandom goes because, well, we know that mantling and incarnation are different things, but they very definitely go for one thing over the other. And the idea of The Last Dragonborn being a Chesareen is also premised on Shaw being missing from guard for the most part, and that The Last Dragonborn is somehow being him and being his presence while he's there. I think this is disproved somewhat by a comment that one of the heroes makes in Guard that, quote, Shaw's high seat stands empty. His mien is too bright for mortal eyes. Now, a mien is a person's bearing. It's their way of being rather than their appearance as such. So what this is saying is that Shaw as a way of being is too bright for mortal eyes. It also implies that Shaw is is currently in Sovngarde, even if he can't be seen. Uh, this, this proves what most people seem to take as the main part of the theory, and um, there are some other bits that I think could possibly indicate that The Last Dragonborn is a Shezarine that don't really seem to get brought up a lot. But The Last Dragonborn defeats Alduin in Sovngarde, in the Spirit Plane, like a story about Shaw from The Five Songs of King Wolfarth, Shaw does exactly the same thing. And there are definite similarities to be made there, I think, um, along with various confusions of identity. Uh, bearing in mind what we said earlier about identity, the ghost at Old Haraldan calling the last dragonborn Hjalti, and the greybeards calling you Ismir, they start to take on a different shade of meaning if you think about it in that sense. That you're starting to take on the roles of Ismir. So you're starting to take on the person of Hjalti because you're becoming a Shazirin, maybe? I, I started this investigation thinking that the idea of The Last Dragonborn as a Shazirin was pretty much rubbish. But when I squint at those few examples there, it makes me think that it's likely. I mean, it's a little difficult to reconcile with the idea of The Last Dragonborn being chosen by Akatosh rather than Shaw or Lokhan so that's why I've generally found it hard to swallow. Although I suppose Zurin was both possibly a Chesareen and associated with Magnus, so I guess you can make a fairly thorough case even on that sort of a basis. And the other example we have of people claiming that the player character is a Chesareen is that the hero of Kvach somehow mantles Pelinal, so to speak, and again, you've got people confusing incarnation and mantling and all that sort of stuff. I think that the idea of finishing Pelinal's task by defeating Umeril rather than becoming Pelinal as such means that this matches incarnation more than it does mantling. Pelinal himself also foretells of Umiral's return in the song, so we have several pieces of drawn bone destiny to put together here straight away to kind of match that sort of a pattern. Although, again, the evidence is quite circumstantial. The more I think about it, the more I think that's meant to be the case, though. If you look at pretty much all of the incarnates that we've seen so far, they've had challenges to it. You've had some people doubt that Pelinal was the Chesareen, because the Song of Pelinal says whether Pelinal was the Chesareen is best left unsaid, which implies there's some doubt even there. And then you go down to the less certain cases, the Nereverine faces some pretty legitimate doubt and some accusations of being an imperial plant throughout the whole story. And so even when we do have something that is pretty concrete in terms of incarnation, there's still a huge amount of doubt. So maybe with that uncertainty comes the possibility of it being the case that something is a Chesarine, that there needs to be that area of doubt that possibly comes from having two sets of instructions stamped on the thing's soul, if you take that particular angle. I don't really know, I guess I'll leave that for you to decide. And that's pretty much it for this week, thank you ever so much for joining me on this ramble through the various possibilities of what it means to maybe be a Chesarine. If you've liked it, follow the show. Written in Uncertainty is available on pretty much any podcatcher out there. And if you have anything that you want to let me know about, and comments about the show, any questions you might have, that sort of thing, give me an email at writteninuncertaintypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at aramithius. And I've also been streaming lately at twitch.tv forward slash Been going through some of the books that you can find in The Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind and just having a fantastic time with some of the people in chat talking over stuff. And if you want to help support the show, help get me an upgrade to my equipment and make the hosting a bit easier to run, that sort of thing, then drop me a line at patreon.com forward slash uncertainty, or you can just drop me a tip at kofi, which is at ko.fi.com, kofi.com, forward slash Aramethius. And next time we will be taking a look at one of the texts that we saw in one of those streams for The Elder Scrolls 3, taking a look at one of the things that we've been talking about a bit here as well, we will be having a close reading examination of the five songs of King Wolfarth, So please come back for that next week. So thank you ever so much for listening. And until then, this podcast remains a letter written in uncertainty. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and presented by Aramithius. The music for this podcast has been kindly provided by Jan Glambotsky. Check them out on SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and I'll see you next time. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, Yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know, play D&D, and reference retro pop culture you
1: vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D
0: in the world of Ameren. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2 coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey! Hi! Do you enjoy being optimistic about bad movies? Or do you enjoy at least trying to figure out where someone worked really hard on a bad movie? Well, we've got the podcast for you. New to Robots Radio, we represent Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast. Each week, we look at two movies that did really badly critically, but we try to find the good in them. And we
1: have segments such as
0: What Could Have Saved It? and Would You Watch It Again? If you're there on a Saturday night, you want to watch a bad movie, but you're not sure if it's like good-bad or bad-bad or if you should even bother, give us a listen. You can find us on Robots Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Please come and say hi. We love you already. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye.
1: The definition of a cryptid is an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. As we binged our favorite Netflix series and slayed our toughest bosses in a video game, we began to wonder about these creatures that appeared and stoked our imagination. What was the inspiration for the Demogorgon or the Dementor? Well, my name is Dave. And with my co-host, Austin, we bring you The Cryptic Cast. Every other Wednesday, we will bring you some information about our favorite modern cryptid. From TV to movies to video games, we explore nerd culture through the lens of extensively suspicious knowledge in cryptozoology. Find us on your favorite podcast service under the name The Cryptic Cast. Follow us on social media at the underscore cryptidcast. Come join the growing community of cryptomania.